Whoa. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, buddy. All right. <laughs> All right. So if, if kids want to head to Reach Kids, they can do that. Otherwise, uh, we're going we're gonna to jump right in. So uh, I was away this last week. Uh, we were in, in Myrtle Beach, so it was a good time to get away, but it was a sad time to be away from you guys all, uh, and it was, a, it was a hard time being away from Galatians. So we are, we are jumping back into it, I know, right? Uh, and all right, this, this, we're kind of answering a question that has been coming up uh, kind of over and over again in the, in the questions uh, people have coming to me after uh, the service, asking about, okay, so if all of this is true... If this is what we believe about the law, if this is what we believe about really living uh, by faith and by grace in the work of Jesus, then how do we then uh, address sin in the lives of fellow believers? How do we address sin in the, in the lives of fellow believers? Uh, and that's immediately where Paul goes. So it's, it's kind of nice. We're kind of anticipating uh, the, the questions that Paul then starts to answer, the, the kind of immediately pressing things. Uh, and before we can jump into that, we just re- want to remind you, all right, we are not saved by works, we are saved by grace, the work of Jesus applied to us. We don't put our faith in our, our obedience to the law, we put our faith in the obedience of Christ, how he has been obedient on the cross. We don't live the Christian life under the law, by the flesh, by our own works, we live by the Spirit, who connects us to Jesus and makes us delight in Jesus, in in desiring more than anything else to love Jesus and to honor him and glorify him. Now, those things are, are always going to be the case, and we want to make sure that those realities, faith and grace and the Spirit, are at the center whenever we kind of think about any application of the Christian life, especially when we're talking about addressing sin in other Christians. Now, there's kind of two, uh, two typical responses that we tend to fall into. All right, the first is that we say, okay, uh, we're just going to rebuke sin and give people a law like all the stuff that we talked about in Galatians didn't really happen. And so what do we do? We, we see sin and we just confront it. We tell people the law and kind of throw it at them. And it has this undertone of like, if you aren't doing this, you're, you're not good enough. And you need to try harder. This is the law. Please, please measure up. And the reality is that doesn't take into account this, this freedom from the law that we have. And what we've been talking about these last few weeks, that we are empowered by, by living by faith and grace, and then loving Jesus and delighting in Jesus, and the power of obedience coming through those things. We've kind of thrown all that out and say, well, you know what? It's just too hard to think through all those categories. Let's just throw the law at each other. That's one tendency. And then the other tendency is, is just as bad, and I think uh, gets confused for what we say is nothing but Jesus. And we say, okay, nothing but Jesus should be nothing but grace. And in this system, we say, oh, well, whenever we see sin, we just, we just give people Jesus and, and remind them, you know, it, you have grace for that. And you have grace for that too. And, you know, it, it's, it's not a big deal. Jesus paid for it. Don't worry about it. Now, that's not really addressing the, the reality of what these sins really are. Now, remember, we, we walk back and we say, okay, that's, this is a, a failure to live according to the Spirit, that this is putting my, 
my love and my desire into idols, that this is putting my faith in my works, in my flesh. We aren't content with just saying, you know, yeah, you're doing that, but there's grace for that. No. We want freedom. We want to glorify Jesus. We want to love Jesus. We want to delight in him and honor him because we really do know him and know that he deserves it. Not that we owe it to him, but we, we long to give it to him. So that's where uh, we want to be kind of sensitive. We want to be uh, not simplistic. And we want a third way that, that incorporates the law, that incorporates grace, but is ultimately not asking for, for any kind of obedience to the law. It's not, it's not law-centered, it's Jesus-centered. And it's not grace-centered even, it's Jesus-centered. They would give each other Jesus and restore one another when we're caught in sin to loving Jesus and obeying Jesus and rejoicing in Jesus. So that's the goal. Uh, and we have kind of three, three categories for that as we talk about it. We're going to talk about first the, uh, those who are caught in transgression, what it means, who we're actually trying to, uh, to restore. Second, we're going to talk about how we each act as the restorer and what that looks like. How do we restore those who are caught in transgressions? And then finally, the temptation. Not the temptation for those who are sinning, but the temptation of those who are trying to restore other believers to faith in Christ and to loving him. So with that in mind, let's turn to Galatians 1, or 6, 1, excuse me. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It's, we're just doing that verse. Uh, we're going to narrow in right here. Feel silly taking this long to turn to it, but here we go. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. All right, we can handle reading that again. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that we have you as, a, as, as a, the reality that we live under, that you are, you are real and that you have set forth a path for life and for joy and that you've given all of those things in Jesus. Father, I ask that we really would examine the way that we address sin and the way that we address one another. That see, we wouldn't just be content in having kind of a haphazard or half-baked view of how we restore others to, to fullness in Christ, but that we would be sensitive to the things reflected in your scripture. And Father, would you change the way that we talk to one another? Would you give us this vision of, of the beauty of Christ and would you call uh, use us to, to call each other to worship Jesus and to love Jesus and to delight in him. Father, would we do more than just give grace? Would we give, do more than just offer the law? Would we give Jesus to one another? Father, would you, would you help us by your spirit? Would you lead us by your spirit to do just that? Teach us uh, by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> 
All right, so first, first we're going to talk about those who are, who are caught in transgression. Who are we actually addressing in this passage? Who are we addressing in this passage? Uh, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. All right, this first word is incredibly crucial. All right, who are we talking to here? We are talking to the brothers, fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, those who have been adopted into the family, those that we, we share a profession of faith. This is not, this is not calling and talking about, first and foremost, it's not, talking about, it's not at all talking about the non-believer, those who are outside of the family, those who haven't professed any faith in Christ. This passage is, is not for that. Now, I know that many of you have questions about that. Because you see sin in the world. You see sin in people who, uh, who need Jesus Christ. And you, you long to, to restore them, and you're, you're reading stuff like this, and you're like, all right, all right, how do I do it? How do I do it? Uh, that's where the first question you ask in how you are addressing sin in other people is, okay, are they a believer or not? Have they put their faith in Jesus? Now, if they haven't, you're not restoring them to anything. Restoration means to, to, to go back, to be, to be set right, something that has been made men wrong. The non-believer, they, they can't be restored. They need to be redeemed. They need to be redeemed. And how do we redeem? We don't. We don't redeem by, by pointing out the sins or by, by even trying to help the non-believer run from their sin or get away from their sin. No, what do they need? They need forgiveness for their sin. They need a savior to die for their sin. And so when we address sin in, in non-believers, we give them Jesus. We give them the gospel. Maybe we have to give them the law so that they become convinced that they really cannot save themselves, that they'll never save themselves, that they'll never be good enough, no matter how hard they try. But I think we feel this pressure that maybe culturally we're supposed to give the law to the, the whole culture that maybe that will give them a better life, create a better society, and maybe it will. But that's not ultimately our priority. Our, our desire for their lives, God's will for the lives of non-believers, is not that they might live a wiser life and have a more enjoyable life, maybe make less mistakes. No, it, his, his will for them is to, to repent and to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're asking this question a lot, like, how do I, how do I stop the non-believer from sinning? Uh, they have no power to stop sinning. They have nothing to love more than sin. And so to hold out to them the law and say, hey, hey, run towards this, is, is a false hope. It's, a, it's, an ugly, it's an ugly goal. Because it's totally unattainable. And oftentimes we end up giving this kind of cheap view of the law. It says, well, yeah, just, just do this, this, and this, and you'll, you'll live a better life. When really, what does the law say? The law says that if, if we don't do everything for the glory of Jesus Christ, and out of thankfulness in our hearts for the salvation that he's given us, and delight in God more than anything else, then we haven't really done the law. We haven't pleased God. And so if you're going to give the law, give the full law. Show, show the non-believer how desperately they need Jesus. 
Redemption, not restoration. All right. So, with that in mind, uh, we are talking to we are talking to the brothers, the brothers, fellow believers. And if any of them is caught in transgression, all right. So, what does it mean that they're caught in transgression? Um, now, what this doesn't mean, uh, this does not mean if you if they if you catch them in transgression. All right, that if you, if you surprise them and, ooh, I found, I found out that you're secretly in transgression, that's not what this is talking about. All right, the Christian life and the Christian community is not about jumping behind walls and discovering sin and, aha, it's, it's not that kind of caught in sin. All right, we don't need that. And honestly, if that's, if that's the only time that sin is getting addressed is when there's like secret hidden sin, all right, there's sin in all of us that's just like dripping out of our pores and spilling all over the floor and like just vomiting out of our mouths. There's sin all over the place. That's the reality of the Christian life. And this is not this special category of like, oh, like those terrible sins, the dramatic sins. No, this is everyday sins that we see in each other all the time. They're addressing anyone caught in any transgression. All right, so then what, what is with the word caught here? I don't, I don't love the word caught. It works, but uh, because it kind of has that double meaning, it gets confusing. Um, other words here, uh, overcome, overcome by sin. To be outpaced by sin, to be outrun by sin. To be overwhelmed by sin. That's what we're talking about here. Then we're talking about someone who's been caught in any transgression we see, have this picture of someone who's, like, who's desperately trying to run from sin. That we're all trying to run from sin and run towards Jesus Christ. And sin is, sin is constantly pursuing us. And sometimes we get overcome. We get caught up in it. We get enveloped in it. And it kind of overwhelms us and unsaturates our being so that we're blind to Christ. It's overrun our will. It's, it's polluted our affections. It's kind of taken over everything to be caught in transgression. That's what we're talking about here. That's the picture. That every time we sin, we are, we're being caught. We're not forgetting. We're being, we're being trapped and like overwhelmed by the sin. And with that, um, we want to make sure we understand, okay, what's really happening when that happens? When we get overcome by sin, all right, remember, Remember we talked about those two charts? That sin convinces us that, that we need to try harder, that sin convinces us that we are alone and we in the flesh can earn our salvation, that we can earn our, our joy, our peace, our hope. And it's convinced us that idolatry is the way to do it, that whatever, if, we, if we love our idols, if we serve them well enough, then we'll have this great joy. We have the things that we finally want. Now, what is missing from all that is Jesus. We've gone totally blind to Jesus. That we can't see his goodness, we can't see his beauty, we can't see the work that he's done. All we can see is the idols before us and how much we love them and desire them and are we running after them. All right, an appropriate uh, analogy here. Uh, he's have a counseling professor and he would say that, uh, that we'd go snow blind. All right, so... 
but we can go water blind too. So you're driving in your car and all right, you want to go forward. You want to, to see what's ahead of you so you don't die. Uh, and, and what happens is the, the rain starts pouring and, and you cannot see. All right, my, my favorite picture of this is when we first moved to Philadelphia, we had to, we had to get a rental car. And Casey had to get the rental car because I wasn't old enough to get the rental car. So she had to, she had to drive. It was like, like 10 times the price if I were to drive the car. Um, so... We were driving, driving from the airport in Philadelphia, and it just started pouring. And it was terrifying. And that, that, that was our first experience of the East Coast. It was like, we're going to die driving here. <laughs> and it was like this, only worse. It was the worst I've ever seen. And all right, all right, that's the picture here. As you're going along, you're pursuing Jesus, and then just like your sin falls upon you, and idolatry falls upon you, and... You cannot see. All you can see is a sin. All you can see is your desire for idolatry. And, and you get overcome by it. That's what we're addressing. We're addressing that reality. And when we all kind of fall into that. And that's, that's the reality of every time we sin. We're, we're in some sense blind to Jesus, not seeing him, not loving him, not seeing his goodness, not seeing the cross. All right. So that's the situation. This person is blind to Jesus. This person is, is walking in the flesh. They've abandoned faith in Jesus and grace and, and fallen back into works and idolatry. So uh, that then takes us to the restorer. To the restorer. All right, this is, not, this is not three of you in the room have the gift of being a restorer. This is if you're married to your... The, you're, you're the restorer to your spouse. You're the restorer to your kids. You're the restorer to your friends. You all are the restorers to one another. This is a, a role that has been given to you. It's to restore one another to Christ. And so, what, what are you called to, called to be when you're, you're called to restore? Look at what it says. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. All right. So who does this well? Who is supposed to do this? You who are spiritual. All right, that can be kind of vague. All right, this is not uh, cosmic spiritualism that, like, I just, I just woke up feeling spiritual today, <laughs> embracing the goodness of mankind. And uh, generally, in, in the New Testament, it never means that. All right, spiritual never means that. What is spiritual? Almost always. Uh, it means spiritual with a, with a capital S. Spiritual for the Holy Spirit, to be walking in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that those people are those who are called to, to restore those who are kind of caught in transgression. All right, let's remind us. Okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? This is a, this is a quiz, so think in your head. What does it mean that they are, they are filled with Spirit? All right, first, first, their, their faith is in the work of Christ, in the grace of Jesus Christ. And they're looking to Jesus, not to themselves, not to their works, not to idols, but to Jesus to, to pour out the riches of his blessing. And they're seeing all of the gifts that have been given in Jesus. 
the gifts of life and peace and hope and joy, things that they cannot attain themselves, things that they cannot eke out of idolatry. And they're putting their faith in that. They're putting their hope in that. But the step beyond it is not just that they're just worshiping the gifts. No, they're going to the giver then. And the person led by the Spirit is, is falling in love with Jesus because they see how amazing his works are. They are delighting in this one who would lay down his life, this one who would adopt us, this one who would sanctify us and send his Holy Spirit. They have eyes that are able to see Jesus. And I think that's what Paul is getting at, that the, the spiritual person is a person who really can see that Jesus is better than sin, that Jesus is more beautiful than any idol, that there's greater delight in worshiping Jesus than in running after anything else. And so what does that, that spiritual person do? They point, they point you back to Jesus. They say, look at Jesus. Why, why, are you, why are you getting blinded by your sin? Why are you looking at your idols? No, look at Jesus. Look at him on the cross dying for you. Look at him working all things for your good. Look at him pouring out blessings upon you. Look at this one who is, is more majestic and powerful and who loves you more deeply than any other. That's, that's what restoration looks like. To point someone back to Jesus and really say, like, why would, you, why would you long for idols when you can have Jesus and you can delight in Jesus and love him? <clears throat> That's the work of the restorer. Now, talking about those two, uh, those two ways that we kind of mess this up. Uh, first, first, this is not just throwing the law at people. And first of all, that's just a silly try to... Res- attempt to restore people because the problem is not generally that we don't understand that we're sinning. We're not usually that blind. It's just that we're, we're in love with our sin and we, we're worshiping our sin and we, we've totally forgotten Jesus. And so to just throw the law into that, it's throwing it into a void. It's not that we don't know the law. It's that we don't, we don't love what the law says. We don't love the one behind the law. All right, so do you ever use the law in this, this process, though? Yes. Yes, there is a role for the law. There's a role for the law in, in showing people like, what their sin really is, how, how nasty the idol they're, they're attempting to love really is. In some sense, we can beat down the idol that we have fallen in love with, that this person has fallen in love with, and the law can help us do that. But the mere bare law can't get us to Jesus. It can't make us fall in love with Jesus. It isn't going to get us all the way. So yeah, there might be an undercurrent of law there that's reminding people, hey, you know, this, this, is, this is not pleasing to Jesus. Jesus doesn't love this. But it can't make people fall in love with Jesus. Now, the other side of this. All right, this person who has put their faith in their works we don't say, hey, they just need more grace. And I know that's, that's the, the misunderstanding that most of us have about nothing but Jesus, that when we see sin, we just say, grace, grace, grace. 
All right. Let's say you were overcome by a mob of terrorists and captured by them. And what did we say? We said, you know what? You'll probably sin a lot while you're there, but like, you know what? There's plenty of grace for that. That's just not very helpful. All right, what do you need? You need to be rescued. You need to be pulled out of it. You need to be uh, restored back. And the problem isn't first with, with grace. The problem is with faith. That you've, you've moved your faith in Jesus Christ to faith in works and to faith in sin and faith in idolatry. All right, but once again, do I say you don't tell people about the faith of Jesus when they need to be restored back? No. We talk about, we talk about grace and we say, you know what? Remember how amazing Jesus is. Remember all the gifts that he's given you. Remember all the things that you could not have earned and did not deserve. Why would you not want to love and, and honor this one? We give grace that they might see Jesus. We give law that they might see Jesus. We restore people back to loving and delighting in Jesus. Now, that's where... Uh, this is really hard to do. It's really easy to memorize a verse and say, you know what, that, that one, you're, that's bad. It's really easy to say, you know what, oh, there's, there's grace for that, so I'm never going to talk to that person. I'm just going to wash over it with grace. That's incredibly easy to do, but it's, it's not loving them. It's not restoring them back. It's not helping glorify Jesus and love him. This is a spiritual activity. This requires the work of the Holy Spirit in us. That we are able to see Jesus, that we are able to, to give people more than just sin. To give them something better. So we kind of have to be convinced that Jesus is that amazing. All right. So uh, uh, an example of this. An example of this. All right, so. Uh, all right, it's been a long day. And I, I come home, and I have an ideal uh, imagining of, of what my evening is going to look like. All right, it doesn't usually include like long emotional conversations, but it usually includes that. All right, it doesn't usually include like long times of playing Legos with Remy, but it usually includes that. And there's times where I come home and I don't want to do those things, and I get bitter and frustrated, and that's my heart is not in it, and I'm probably not the only one, but I'm okay if I am. Uh, all right. Now, what is that? All right, that's me putting my, my, my faith in, in my ability to earn rest, to earn comfort, and to... I, I, I fight for it. And at that moment, I'm, I'm warring with myself, I'm warring with my family to earn those things. All right. Now, what should what should what should Casey say? She doesn't. I don't. I don't uh, this isn't a button example of like what she said. I don't know. Uh, well, she could say she could say. Well, you know what? Rejoice in the Lord again. I say rejoice. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd probably leave. All right. <laughs> like that's just not that helpful. All right. Uh, you could have like a, a little passive-aggressive, like someone doesn't have the patience of Job today. 
And you go, oh, <laughs> nope. All right. All right, what is that? That's nothing but the law. And the law is just not that helpful. Like, okay, yeah, I, I think I want to be sinning at this moment. That's all I want. That's all I'm seeing. That's the problem. I don't need to know that it's sin. I need to know that it's not, not as beautiful as I think it is. All right. It could be nothing but grace. And that's where Casey could say, you know what? Oh, you've had a hard day. Like, no wonder you're being so awful right now. And, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Just go, go sit down and, like, I'll take care of everything. You know, what is that? That's just saying, like, you know what? You're, be content in your sin and we'll just deal with it. But yeah, you're idolizing peace in your own comfort. But, like, you know, it's, it's fine. All right, that's not what I need. That's not what any of us need. We need to be placated in our sin. All right, what do we need to see? All right, so I, I wrote this myself. I'm not sure if that, okay. So what would I actually respond to? Um, all right, loving your family and serving your family is an opportunity to love and serve Jesus. We see those parallels all over the place, that loving others and serving others is an opportunity to love Jesus. All right, so there's that, that underlying current, but then it's saying like, you know what? Isn't Jesus better than, than the rest that you're going to get on a Wednesday night? The one who, who died and gave you eternal rest. And the one who promises that actually you'll find greater rest in, in worshiping the Lord of the universe. That actually these things that you're obsessed about are not really the real beautiful things that, that Jesus is a beautiful one. And we're called to love him and enjoy him and delight in him. And he promises to, to fill our soul when we do that and to give us our true purpose and our true calling. And you'll actually work through things and not just let them fester and, and neglect them. And you'll actually really love each other and, and point each other to Jesus. And then we think of this one. Okay, this one, he... He died for your sin. He works everything for your good. And he's calling you to do this. All right, you can worship Jesus or you can worship, worship peace and rest. Which one is it going to be? Why would it not be Jesus? Why would it not be the king of the, the universe? Why would it not be the bridegroom? Why would it not be your friend, your king, your savior? Now, that's really hard to do. The other two are a lot easier. All right, but you're not restoring. Maybe you're rebuking. Maybe you're appeasing. We are restoring people to Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. That we love Jesus more than sin and help people kind of wipe the, the blade so that we can, hey, we can see Jesus again that the light is, opens up and we can see Jesus and see who he is. All right. Uh, now, this last section, um, there's a warning that comes with this passage. There's a warning. And it's not a warning for the sinner. It's not a warning for those who would, uh, who would fall in, into sin, those who are caught in transgression. No, it's a warning for those who are trying to restore others. And what does Paul say? He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. 
All right, now there's this way that we often take this, and I think it's kind of silly, but we tend to do it. Uh, we tend to think, like, watch out for the, the, the sin that you're rebuking, because that sin might get you. And so we say, like, okay, uh, if, you're, if you're rebuking someone for, for drunkenness, then you might, feel mo- you might be more tempted to drink. Or, oh, if you, if you try to restore someone out of materialism, then suddenly materialism is going to try to attack you. All right, that tends to be how we, how we think about this verse. Now, that, that comes from a, kind of just a lack of understanding of where sin actually comes from. All right, sin is not like a, the common cold coming from outside. And if you hang out with sinners, you might catch it. No, that's not how this works. Sin doesn't come from outside and get in. No, sin comes from inside and then comes out. And so what's the temptation here? The temptation here is not, oh, I was around a sinner, and so I, I, I picked up some of their sin. No, it's that you were the restorer, and your temptation is to, to lift yourself up and to puff yourself up and to be self-exalting and self-aggrandizing and say, you know what? I was a restorer today. I, there's no way that I'm going to be caught in transgression tomorrow. And maybe, maybe I, I need to see Jesus a little less today. And that person over there, they need to see Jesus. That's what we're talking about. That's the temptation. The temptation is that maybe we, even as we are telling people about how amazing Jesus is, are really reinforcing to ourselves that I am amazing. And aren't I amazing for seeing how amazing Jesus is? All right, that's the sin in our hearts. That's the nutsness of, of the reality of being sinful people. As we convince ourselves that, hey, maybe because I'm a restoring person, I get to walk in the flesh for a little bit more. And I can depend on myself and not upon Jesus. And I don't need to delight myself in Jesus because, you know, I, just, I can delight myself in what a good person I am. That's the temptation. And so if you are going to restore, uh, you need to kill your pride. You need to kill your pride. We said that we were supposed to do this with a spirit of gentleness because we know that we could fall just as hard and just as fast within the next five minutes as we're restoring someone else. And the reality is, they're not being restored by you. They're being restored by Jesus. And it's not that you are so beautiful or you are so wise. No, you're connecting people to the beautiful one, to the wise one, to the perfect one. You've never died for the person. You've never incarnated for the person. You're not the king of heaven calling them to obedience and to delight in them. No, you're giving them the one who, who really is the special one who is the delight. And so if you're going to be the restorer, you need to be ready to, to be the restorer and then get out of the way. All right, no one, you don't need a, a round of applause. You don't need them to thank you. you just, like, oh, I see Jesus now. That's your time to dip. All right, get out of there. Because you don't want to be a distraction to Jesus. It's not about you. And I remind us, that as we talk about all this, like, Jesus is full of grace. Jesus dies for our sins. Jesus washes us clean. 
that yes, we will sin, we can rebuke each other, we can restore each other. Sorry, I keep saying rebuke. Don't use rebuke. That's not the best word. It's restore. Really, <laughs> I keep saying that. Uh, it's so ingrained that restoring is such a more beautiful picture. We are restoring each other to Jesus. And it challenges us. We need to confess that maybe we're not the spiritual people that we think we are and that we want to be, and we need to see Jesus more, more beautiful and more delightful and more majestic than we really understand him to be. Otherwise, we might love the law more or even join people in their sin and say, you know what, yeah, you do, need, you do need that sin and not be able to really give people Jesus. All right, one last uh, rabbit trail. I didn't include this, but it's kind of important. Um, some of you might ask about 1 Corinthians, um, which doesn't feel like this. It's not a spirit of gentleness. It's not a spirit of re- restoration. It's like get the person out of the church. All right, the reality of that passage is that this is a whole church, a whole congregation that has said that someone who is sleeping with their, their father's wife, and they're all rejoicing about it and saying how amazing it is. All right, this is a big deal. This is not the, in every transgression, you should be restoring one another. This is a, a whole church that has been caught up in this, this sin and is praising it. Uh, and it's corrupting the whole church. All right, that's a big deal. And Paul's saying, like, you should be ashamed of this, and why are you not moving against this? Instead, you're embracing it. Uh, that's not the time to be gentle, and that's not what we're talking about here. This is, that's a more congregational, like, real big church matter. I think this is more talking about, like, the one-on-one relational, how do you interact with each other and deal with fellow sinners, which is all of us every second of the day. All right. Questions? Yep. Yes. Right. Right. Right, right. And that's where, uh, I think, yeah, we're, we're shaping it in the context of what does that first interaction look like? What are we really trying to do? And if, if someone is caught in transgression and recognizes it as transgression, then what do we do? Because if we're, we are repentant, there's no more church discipline. You don't need to kick out of church, but you do need to be restored to Christ. Yeah. Okay. Second question. Second yeah. Yes, yes, I would say that is fair. <laughs> no tome. <laughs> yeah, so... It, right, right. There's, there's a wisdom in who we, who we give certain responsibilities to, absolutely. Um, and restoration doesn't mean... Um, 
putting them back in the same place of temptation or the place of of power where they could they could sin and mistreat again. No, no. Um, Other questions? Yeah, Dan? In this, um, this word restoring people, you know, there are Christians who sin, um, who are overcome by their sin and feel horrible about them and live in guilt and shame. They can't, they're just stuck. Right. Um, then there are people who, who like, run to grace too easily. It's, it's not a big deal. So right. It seems like that word restore can mean different things depending on how the person is reacting to it. Okay. Right? right. So you're saying that for one person, restoration might need to to really see the the idolatry and the love there and, and to really feel the weight of it. And that might that might include be a process of restoration. Some people might not need that to be restored because they really already feel that. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right, Dan. And I think that's where we are calling people to truly love Jesus and not to be flippant about sin and not to be flippant about uh, abandoning faith in Christ for, for sin. That's where this is a really big deal. The thing keeping us from and uniting us to Jesus Christ is our faith. And so we aren't content to say, yeah, their faith is in sin, but, you know, it's fine. No, we, have to, we want to make sure each other's faith is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Otherwise, that's a devastating reality for, for the end. Right. Other questions? Shana? Yep. Right, right, right. Okay. Right. Okay. I I get you, I get you. Uh, All right, that's what, yeah, these things are subtle, Shana. That's good, that's good. Is is rest evil? No, no, not at all. Not at all. We just went on vacation. I think it was good. Um, Can rest become an idol that we then love? And I think that how you'll know the difference is the fruit of it. All right, is, it, is this rest first like given and not taken to the detriment of everyone else around you that you've kind of stolen it away? And is it, so that, that, would, that would be ruining it. Uh, and does your desire for rest, like does it express itself in, in joy or does it express itself in bitterness because we're not getting it and anger because we're not getting it? Uh, an unwillingness to relate to the world until we've gotten it. But beyond that, I think we have to make sure like, our hearts are so fickle that we can love so many things when we are really called to love Jesus Christ first. And he's our, our single delight. And so we might use our rest as a tool to help us delight in Jesus, 
or we might use it as a way to, to replace Jesus. And that's, that's a hard, hard line to know and to be honest with our hearts and know which, what, which is really happening. Deb. Uh, so you're so you're saying what if the what if the person you're trying to restore has sinned against you personally? It's actually your responsibility more than anyone else to to restore. According to, to Matthew eighteen. Then you bring help. Yeah. Um that's right. Yeah, oddly enough, you're called to be the first kind of one to restore and the first to offer forgiveness and reconciliation and to, to move towards that person, to help them see, see their sin and then, then move towards Jesus. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a hard line, but that, that is generally how it goes. Oh, Catherine, what do you want to say about that? <laughs> Catherine might have experience in this. <laughs> it, it, it really is. Yeah, that you're, you're fighting for them to, to love Jesus, not to treat you better. Yeah, that's really, really hard. And Right, right. And I will benefit a lot from if you do that. <laughs> they, can read, they can usually see through that, for sure. All right. Any other questions? Kind of, all right. I'll kind of answer it, Norma. <laughs> you know, like, we're supposed to be a large sort of role in the role of the Jesus. Right, right. So that's somebody that was in the church causing harm. Right. But you can see it. Do you treat them as brothers, like, so you love them because they're not in the faith? Or do you treat them as brothers? Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Uh, it depends on what... So, wolves in sheep's clothing, these are just like a, a really scary category of... Yeah. Um, I think it's... Yeah, uh, yeah, it is real. Um, I think we want to be careful if, if it's the teacher that's the wolf in, te- in sheep's clothing or like or a, a leader. That's a, that's a bigger deal. More unacceptable, like we more cut, cut and dry, point blank, like they need to get out of there. Um, it's a harder line if it's a, a regular kind of person who just is sinful and kind of destructive. Um, it's hard to say, okay, is this a profession that isn't real or 
it, we don't really get, we aren't really called to parse those things out oftentimes. So I think we're called to, to restore more than just push out. Yeah. All right, let's pray. <coughs> Father, we thank you that that you don't just leave us in our sin, you don't just give us the law, but you instead give us Jesus and give us this beautiful vision of, of who he is and how much we long to delight in him and to, to honor him and glorify him. Father, I ask that we would not be um, passive and content when we see sin, but we would not be judgmental or harsh or uh, Bible-thumping Father, would you instead give us um, an ability to, to cast a vision of the beauty of Jesus? And would you help us to restore one another to faith in the one who has an abundance of grace and to the one who deserves all worship and obedience and, and faithfulness? Not because we have to, but because we get to. Father, would you change the way that we address sin? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would we be spiritual people who are able to do this by your power, we pray in Jesus Christ's name.